0: Look, I'm grateful you found this podcast. But if you're listening to this because you think you might belong here, then my advice would be to stop right away. Listening to the Half-Blood Hill Show will only burden you with knowledge and insight about the Riot inverse that will make you more of a target. After all, as we've been told, once you know the truth, then it's only a matter of time before they sense it too, and they'll come for you. But perhaps you're already known to them, And in that case, you've come to the right place. Join me, your host, Jared Shaw, as we dive deeply into the works of Rick Riordan, chapter by chapter, here on the Half-Blood Hill Show. So strap on your celestial bronze armor, sharpen your wit, and let the quest begin. Welcome, welcome everybody to episode four of the Half-Blood Hill Show. Today with me, as you can see, I have Jay. She is back again for another chapter breakdown. I hope you are enjoying the new video setup. If you are watching on YouTube, um, PodCastle hates to work for me, so we're going to try it this way. And if you are watching on YouTube, please be sure to like and comment as it really helps these videos grow and spread. And if you are listening on audio platforms, Please be sure to give us a rating and a review, because that really helps us as well a lot. Now, with my plugging complete for the start of the uh, episode, we're going to get into the summary of chapter four, which is titled My Mother Teaches Me Bullfighting. And uh, this chapter is a very heavy action chapter. There is a lot of movement. Uh, We talked about it at the end of chapter three, that things start moving at a rapid pace. And this is like a testament to that. So we, le- we start where the last chapter left off, which is they're all running into Gabe's Camaro, which will suffer a most untimely fate. And they are booking it towards what we know as Camp Half-Blood trying to avoid the storm and this monster that Grover is saying is after them. There's a weird revelation that happens where Percy realizes that Grover and his mom know each other. And Percy, being very confused, is trying to ask questions, and nobody is giving him direct answers. Um, let's see. Percy talks. And we learn that Grover is not a goat to his don't don't mistake him with that. We learn that he is a satyr that is tasked that was tasked with protecting Percy, and that. Also, all of the things that Percy had been being gaslit about were true, specifically that Mrs. Dodds was not was real and that the three old ladies he saw at the fruit stand were the fates. Percy's confused, obviously, about why no one had ever told him any of this information before. And Sally claims that it was a little bit too dangerous for him to know and that Sally is taking him to Camp Half-Blood to be safe from the creatures of the Greek world that are trying to attack him. Unfortunately, it's not just the monsters Percy has to be careful about. It is the elements, because Zeus, continuing to hate, causes the Camaro to explode in a bolt of lightning. And to the surprise of nobody, Grover is unconscious, unable to help anybody, as Percy and his mom are near the property line and in a very, very dangerous position. Sally being mom of the year, uh, mom of the century, mom of the millennia, whoever, says, I'm going to try to slow down the Minotaur. Percy, you get across the line. But we learn that Sally is not allowed to go past the line into Camp Half-Blood. Percy being Percy, however, refuses to leave her or Grover and unfortunately will end up, quote unquote, losing his mom as his mom turns into golden dust. In a rage, Percy will fight the Minotaur and will be successful in defeating it. But we'll end up unconscious, and when he wakes, he ends up in camp and meets one of my favorite characters in the series for the first time, Annabeth Chase. So, for this episode, we're doing this kind of different. Instead of going page by page by page, we've grouped our thoughts into like categories, and we're going to break these down um, as we go, with our first category being... Just the overall what we learn about the Percy Jackson mythos and the Percy Jackson universe. Um, so I think, Jay, that the first one mm-hmm. is to you.
1: Yep.
2: So we're going to talk about our guy Chiron and how he can manipulate myths. And that's confirmed in this chapter, which would have been a great lesson to teach Percy. And we know that because of Grover talking about how they were just really hoping that Percy would just, like, not worry about the kindly one. Like, all good, no worries. So that is beyond frustrating and kind of goes into what you were going to say about Percy's PTSD.
0: Yeah, so we learn that Chiron manipulates the mist in order to make everyone at Yancey Academy believe that Miss Dodds never existed, um, that the kindly one that Percy fought Was a hallucination. And literally, I mentioned this in chapter two. Percy is waking Mm -mm. up consistently in a cold sweat because he cannot get this like fight that he just had with Mrs. Dodds out of his head. And like no one is validating that this actually happened. And so, Mm -mm. like, this is you know, just Chiron doing Chiron things. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this solution because I think that this is best um why we don't know but like i guess i i I really i don't know i can't even come up with the devil's advocate information because like at this point Mm -hmm. like the kindly ones are hades torturers they're like his direct servants and so it's gotten to the level that hades is getting directly involved in trying to kill percy and Mm -hmm. chiron's still like well maybe everything can work out without him and i you know i asked it earlier and i'm like how at this point he needs to be brought into the loop things are getting very serious and like continuing on that trend of it getting very serious this chapter is literally the first chapter where percy is attacked by two of the big three like hades is the person who sends the minotaur after him hades is releasing these monsters from the underworld to go after percy for the reason we haven't learned yet but um it's actually pretty funny because both hades and zeus have similar motivations for wanting percy dead um, mm-hmm. and we know that zeus obviously causes the car to blow up uh with a lightning bolt so mm-hmm. you know why it is that action steps were not taken before it got to this point i'm not quite sure at some point you feel like Chiron would have just clip clopped up the up the apartment to go see to go see Sally and just be like, "Listen, Sally, like the king the the king of the dead is after him. We we got mm-hmm. We got to take him to camp. I know you love him. I know you right. want to keep him here, but like this isn't. He's got to go. These aren't just like monsters or cyclopes no. coming after him. Like the big guns are after him now, and he needs to go. You're not." You do not have the facilities to take care of of this child anymore. Um, and so, unfortunately, when the car does blow up, they are so close to the property line, but there is such a big roadblock in front of them.
2: So, before we get into that, let's talk about the property line for just a second. Mm-hmm. What, first of all, like the... um. The lack of specifics around this property line and who's in the know and who is not in the know is another very big question mark for me. Because we do know, because um, Percy's mom yells to Percy, you have to run, do you see that big tree, which is our foreshadow for Thalia. How does she know that? How does she know where the property line is? What is with, How does she know about the big tree? Has she been there before? Did Poseidon bring her? Did Chiron bring her? Like, There's so many questions as to where Sally is getting her knowledge and how that comes about right here. And how has she not met Grover at this point? That just continually is a big question for me. They know about each other, but they've never met. And then she can't cross... But she knows where it is and all because we know that this is not like a visible line, right?
0: Yeah, it's just once you go over the hills, what looks like it's strawberry fields in the distance actually becomes Mm -hmm. Camp Half-Blood. So like if Mm -hmm. it was, I think if a mortal tried to cross it, it would either just like let them through and into the strawberry fields or it would just like block Mm -hmm. them from being able to actually access the camp like... You know how, like, Hogwarts is supposed to have, like, some kind of charm on it, like, so that, like, the muggles don't see it? I think it's a similar concept for this property line.
2: So, arguably, maybe I'm wrong, arguably she could look at that property line and see the beginning of a strawberry field.
0: Well, I don't know, because uh, Sally is clear-sighted, so meaning that, like, the mist Mm -hmm. doesn't affect her. Or, like, she's able to identify the Minotaur, right? Like, to her, it's not yeah. just some giant bull running after them like the mist might make you believe. Mm-hmm. Like, she can see the Minotaur for what it is. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, it, comes, it comes in much later in the series where you meet a character named Rachel who is also clear-sighted. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And what's weird is that Rachel can enter the property line. So, what I think has to happen... For a clear-sighted yeah. mortal to be able to enter the property line, is they have to be given explicit permission from Chiron. Like you can see it, so you know it exists, but you can't mm-hmm. go through it. So, like, I think in Last Olympian, now that I'm like really festering on it, I think Rachel says that she has some business to do in Camp Half Blood. Like, there's something she needs to do. And Chiron okay. gives her permission to be able to fly across the property line on Percy's Pegasus that she steals um but that's if awesome. it is the case yeah. that it needs to be permission granted from Chiron, this is just another 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 horrible horrible thing for that's
2: what I was just going to say <laughs> yeah. Like, so many conversations could have been had preemptively, especially knowing that these three characters, Sally Grover and Chiron, like, kind of know each other Mm -hmm. and have somehow been in the same vicinity. Especially, like, Chiron has the least excuse because he was also Percy's teacher. Like, one phone call home and then, like, okay. A little bit of trauma is going on here. And don't get me wrong. I like my heroes with a little bit of trauma. But this is getting to a dangerous point. So I need you to know where this place is. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and just, just a little bit would have gone a long way for me.
0: So actually, I'm writing a video right now for my channel. Uh, it's like a yeah. it's a, the title is like why I love Sally Jackson. And so in it, okay. I, I theorize that like. It's not that Sally doesn't know, like, you know, the property line or it's like specifics like I think that in that summer that she spends with Poseidon, I think that Poseidon is actually very clear with Sally in terms of like, OK, uh, you, Percy is not supposed to exist like this was an error. She, he does say even to Percy's face later that he was a mistake. He wasn't supposed to happen. Um, which is rough, but it is it is in there. Um, and so like I think that when he realizes what's going to happen, I think he is very clear with Sally in being like, "This is where the property line is. This is Camp Half Blood. You need to send Percy here as soon as possible." And I think, like in my understanding of like what Poseidon wanted, I think he would have wanted Percy there earlier than even Annabeth gets there. Like, I think he wants Percy to be there, like, from his childhood all the way until he is 16, training under Chiron directly. That's what I think he wants. And I actually think that it is Sally's love for Percy that kind of derails this plan. Like, that she cannot, like, detach herself from her kid, and that she wants to keep Percy close close to her, and that is why she will go through the troubles of, like... Marrying Gabe, hiding him with the scent, keeping in contact, keeping in like rough contact with like Seder protectors. But I do think that like. I think had Percy gone across the line. Mm-hmm. He would have remained unclaimed for a very long time. But I think that Chiron would have known eventually that Percy was Poseidon's kid and then started training him until Percy will eventually be claimed in the manner that he is when it is time to finally help his father and he's more prepared for it. But that's kind of like just a theory I have where it's like I feel like there is a lot more that happens in those couple months that he and Sally are together on Montauk than even Sally lets on. That's kind of just something that I I mean, it has to happen. How else would she know? Like she had to have been given direct at, direct information by her her um immortal- her mortal partner
2: yeah, I see what you're saying, and how far have you gotten in the show
0: um i've got so I'm assuming you're talking about like the scene at the cafe where they're talking to each other yeah i've I've seen it if that happens like if if we think that that is actually happening behind the scenes and there's more communication there going on then then maybe but like i genuinely think that poseidon was a very like very hands-off um just from the just from the jump and actually this i'm i also wonder how much of poseidon not being involved in percy's life actually comes as a result of what he knows about thalia and luke in which hermes and zeus tried to be more involved in those two's lives and how that worked out for them like i think that maybe he's even seeing it as cautionary where beryl grace thalia's mom goes insane because she learns that zeus like that she is the mother of two kids from the king of the gods And that like she should be entitled to everything in the world. And like she she cannot stay grounded. And then May, who will just absolutely lose her mind due to the fact that Hermes acknowledges the fact that she has like minor prophetic abilities and she wants to go and become the Oracle when it's not her place to become the next Oracle. And that drives her insane. And she sees all the future stuff that's going to happen to Luke and so I think there was a lot of stuff, times where like Poseidon may have wanted to be there, but like saw these two cautionary cases and said, I can't. Like I, I just cannot interfere at all.
2: Did you buy the twist that the show did on the specific moment of why Poseidon is so hands off? Because he in this show, it makes it seem as though he agrees with Sally's perspective of, like, not wanting Percy to grow up in the mentality of the gods. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're keeping him away. Like, I, I feel like that is not quite...
1: Well... I mean, I think
0: that Percy even tells Poseidon at some point that he like when he rejects immortality, part of it is that yeah. he doesn't want to end up a part of this like mess of a family. Um, right. And I think that, you know, Poseidon respects it. I don't necessarily I mean. Of the big three, well, actually, I can't even say that I think of the big three, Hades is probably the most loving and caring parent of all of them. Um, But like. Poseidon's not wholly objective all the time. Like, he's not like, this is the mission. Mm -hmm. This is what you got to do X, Y, and Z. But I think that because I'm like 99% sure all the gods know the prophecy of the, like, that's happening. And so, like, I think that when he realizes that his child, mm, no, actually, I might be wrong here. Because Thalia is alive before Percy, so why would he think that Percy would be the child of the prophecy. He would have thought it was probably...
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I don't know. I actually... In that case, I actually don't know. I would imagine that, like... He Mm -hmm. would know that... He would know, at least in bare minimum, that it's like... Because he is my kid, he is going to attract more monsters and more danger than Mm -hmm. the the majority of gods. So you should Mm -hmm. get him to Camp Half-Blood ASAP. But in terms of, like... You know, his desire to keep Percy away from the more like the the immortal world and like make sure he was I don't I don't think he cared that much yet.
2: I agree. Anyway, side quest there. Yeah, back to the main quest.
1: All right. Um,
2: (laughs) So the next point that we were going to talk about is Percy's power buff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were talking about the two items that we think he gets the power buff from. Firstly, we know for sure he gets power buffs from water, any kind of water, and that gives him extra strength, etc. But there's this one quote where he said, the rage filled me like high octane fuel. So it is also seemingly implied that his powers are also fueled by his emotions. And that delicate balance between the two makes me wonder, is it emotion-driven in his youth? And maybe as he grows and and matures in his strength, he actually knows where he can more safely draw power?
1: Or, or is it both? Either way.
0: Hmm. So, I have a couple thoughts about this. Number yeah. one is that, do you remember that scene from Avatar The Last Airbender where Katara meets the Bloodbender and um, she just bends the water out of the air? Yes. Right? So, I'm thinking to myself, like, Percy, once again, is not, like utilizing his power set to the best yep. of his ability because yeah. he could be doing that to everything True. like he could be touching that's trees the draining the moisture out of trees and using that his own moisture as like a temporary buff or something or like mm-hmm. my other thought is that maybe he is subconsciously doing that and walking around with like an always buff on whenever he's just in air and that's why he's stronger mm-hmm. than other like demigods just like in base i don't know but i guess it's not an anime so like maybe they're not they're not thinking about it like that
2: good reference though 10 points for that reference
0: yeah. uh but yeah uh it in general i do think that so percy describes the water like his ability to control water as like this this like mm. feeling in the pit of his stomach that like allows him to control mm. it. But it's like so when he fights the Ares kids, that's one show of his major power when he's buffed in the water, when he fights the Minotaur, obviously, is a show of his major power. Another thing is that um, much later, I think it's in chapter 15, 16 or whatever, where they go and try to retrieve Ares's shield. He causes mm-hmm. the pipes in this like abandoned um, amusement park. To explode and mm. flood the, like, flood the uh, a boat ride with water so you can get out of a situation. But right. I I think as a kid, it's very much like he plans it out, he wants to do it, but he cannot mm. do it until he becomes so stressed out that his emotions force him into doing it. Like, in the part with the boat he is desperately trying to save himself and Annabeth from these, like, metallic spiders that are coming after them. And so mm-hmm. Annabeth, because there are spiders there, is, like, cannot help, cannot think. It's just her biggest phobia are these spiders. And so he's, like, desperately trying to escape the situation. Nothing is working. And then finally, you know, he gets so emotionally heightened that the water comes out Um, when he's about to get... Uh-huh when he's about to get his like head swirled by Clarice, it's not until like, he's just like, Nope, I am not going to do that. I'm not going in there. You cannot make me. And then the pipe blows up. But I think that it's like, I mean, obviously eventually as he gets older, it's almost at will that he's able to do a lot of these things. But right now Mm -hmm. he is once again, untrained and nobody is helping this kid. Nobody is teaching him how to do any of this. Granted, Poor child it's not entirely on Chiron. Chiron cannot teach percy how to wider bend he doesn't have that he does not have that skill set but i'm like walk him through it maybe ask him some questions yeah. like how do you feel when you do this do you notice anything when you do this like whatever
2: we'll talk about how a little guidance goes a long way but right now we're gonna we're gonna pivot into some character work go ahead take it away
0: all right so for character work the first thing that we get to see is this like for for a chapter that's very stressful for most of the time it is kind of cute to see the um like the fact that they're just kids you know like really emphasizing like percy and grover's like conversation in the back seat they're just children and like Mm -hmm. god that's such a child childlike conversation wait you know my mom how do you know my mom you have goat legs (laughs) what's going on with the goat legs like um like i
2: promise i'm your friend percy i
0: promise that one killed me where he was just like yeah i know i was lying to you about all the greek myths but i wasn't lying to you about being your friend and like i was like oh like, I lo- he's so concerned about it. It's like it's actually yeah, he so. <laughs>
1: he, <laughs> he doesn't cares. Want, Yeah, he, he cares doesn't so want much. Percy
0: to think yeah. that Gro- like he was playing him. One Yeah. Honestly, Grover can't play anyone ever. Like his lying, oh. his poker face is horrific, but just <laughs> in, in general, it was just a really cute um conversation, but in ter- like their friendship is really beautiful. But His protector (laughs) abilities are trash. Like, they are not good. Critical fail. (laughs) I know, I know that Riordan does this because, like, the goal is to show just how incompetent of a protector Grover is and then watch him grow into a very competent satyr and searcher. But. My God. Can we give him some like less challenging assignments? Maybe have him um, <laughs> escort a child of Hermes, or maybe have him escort uh, a a child of uh, Demeter, or Af- anybody, someone, someone that is not going to attract <laughs> the biggest, baddest monsters to their kid. Like, please give I him a break.
2: Feel, I feel like. We have learned, and this is this is just doubling down on the ultimate failure of training. Like Percy got no training, Grover has no training. Like it is solely trial by fire, excessive trauma. That's that's the
0: recipe for I a good think hero. Grover I Grover has more of an excuse, okay? Because Chiron's job is official. Like his official job is trainer of demigods. That is why he is allowed to live Fair. forever. Like, that is what he asks for as a wish, is to be a trainer of demigods for as long as the world needs them. In fairness to Grover, Grover's trainers are the Council of Cloven Elders, all of whom hate mm-hmm. him because he's young right. and has, like, aspirations of greatness and they're all old and crotchety and failures. Um, and the other person is Dionysus, who, to his own omission, does not want to be there like, is, mm-hmm. is punished by being at Camp Half-Blood. So it's like, I get that he sucks, but, like, mm-hmm. can we please stop putting Grover to start at level 10? Maybe maybe Thousand level percent. 1, maybe level 5. Something that he can <laughs> achievably do. Because, right. like, I'm sure if he just had to escort um, Annabeth and Luke to camp, he would have been mm-hmm. much more successful then right. if he had to gather, whose idea was it to look at the young unproven satyr and say, "Boy, do we have a job for you?" So there's this child, there's this child of Zeus, you know, the one that's forbidden. Um, we were thinking, <laughs> you You want to walk her all the way up here from San Francisco to New York? Like you wanna, you wanna do that trip? Just terrible. Ter- I feel so bad for Grover, but. At the same time, Mm. at this point, with Grover Mm. being unconscious, with Percy having to be the one that actually protects him, with his failure in protecting Thalia, like, you cannot blame the Council of Cloven Elders for just kind of determining hey, buddy, you may not be built for this searcher life after all. (laughs) Like, you're just, you, you may not have it in you.
2: Justifiably, justifiably, especially, I think that's a great gateway into talking about Percy's fatal flaw, because we have Grover snoozing and dreaming about food, or demanding it, rather, because I think there are some exclamation points like, food, give me food. Um, And this is right after Percy sees Sally die, which I'm going to talk about in a second, and he says, I wanted to lay down and cry, but there was Grover needing my help. So we've already established, I think in, in two chapters, that Percy's fatal flaw is excessive personal loyalty. We know that. And he's willing to put aside his own like a crazy level of grief for like the one person in this world that means honestly anything to him other than Grover at this point. Dying in front of him dying. I'm going to put air quotes around dying. And he puts that all to the side to save Grover's passed out little goat hooves. Like, mm.
1: <laughs> it's so depressing. He's <laughs> just so depressing. So think...
2: <laughs> no. That, no. especially because you know Grover is not life. like this 12-year-old little boy has to save this 20-something-year-old who I know looks younger, but still, who have to be heavy? Like, I just can't believe He's <laughs> that, not hollow, bold, that Grover sure. is light. It's like, no way. So, going back to the point about Sally, right? We see her supposed death after mm-hmm. she's picked up by the Minotaur and she glows in this, like, golden light and she's gone. She disappears into these, like, little flecks of light. And the last thing that Sally says is go, and I think, you know, we talked about this in the sales recording of how with a mother and son relationship, you almost, there's almost like this societal expectation that the last thing you might want to say is I love you, Mm -hmm. but Sally as a person and as a mom, like Percy knows that she loves him. So what she says instead is go, which I feel like is equivalent to survive, save yourself. Mm-hmm. Do whatever you need to do. Like, go to the property line. Go. Uh, I think that that is huge, and it speaks to a lot of their dynamic. But I think it also speaks to the origin of Percy's Fetalplaw.
0: I also...
1: Like,
2: like, having...
0: Yeah, like, hit, like hit it. on that, it just popped into my head here, right? Is that, like... Yeah. When this is happening, when she is being, like, strangled, and we know, you know, what, like, turning into golden dust... I think right in that moment, she knows her son so much yeah. that she knows that there is going to be a part of Percy that feels like it's his responsibility to protect her. And like instead of like feeding into that, like she is telling him like with this fight, like do not listen to that urge that you feel to stay behind and protect me. Like, I know that that is how you feel. You need to go. You need to run. You know, and like that, I I don't know, like it really just does show how much Sally knows her son. Yeah. And I wonder if like, I guess she's not like a hero in the sense of like the way that this book works, but I wonder if they actually have the same fatal flaw.
2: I think she is. And that's what I was going to say by the origin of the fatal flaw. Mm -hmm. Like we are so much of our parents, good and bad, like. Sally's selflessness, I think, combines with that excessive personal loyalty. Like, it's the same thing to me. So I agree with you.
0: Which might also feed into the reason why she cannot leave Percy at Camp Half-Blood. Why she can't just dump him off and be like, okay, goodbye. Mm -hmm. Like, she feels... I mean, she feels a mother's obligation, but also, like, probably, to an extent, like, this personal loyalty to her. Like, even the... Even the fact that we learned that her uncle was abusive to her and yet she dropped out of school to go take care of her. It's like. I don't know, I don't want to characterize these like moments of kindness as like a fatal flaw, but like in a way it's like that's a lot of loyalty you have to someone who treated you this poorly. You know, like it's it's a tough one.
2: Was it in the failed recording, or was this a side conversation when we were talking about how fatal flaws in all reality are too much of a good thing?
0: Uh, I was in this is that was in this recording, yeah. It was in the last recording yeah. where yeah. loyalty is good, but excessive loyalty is bad. Confidence mm-hmm. is good, but excessive pride is a detriment. Yep. Um, feeling remorse is good, but being guilt ridden is. Detrimental,
2: self-destructive, for sure.
0: Uh, like, yeah. setting boundaries is good, but holding grudges is detrimental to your, like, mm-hmm. is detrimental. So, yeah, I, I do. I think that's that was. A, thank you for bringing that up. That was a really good connection we made last chapter, uh, last review. Yeah. So suck if it just was didn't make it in here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, but Anna we do get
0: introduced it. to one more character in this chapter. And that is Annabeth. And what a great character this 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 character will turn out to be like. I remember like my sister reading this book, like my little sister reading Mm -hmm. this book for the first time Mm -hmm. and just being like. It was so cool to see like. The way that this child with like really not that much extraordinary power will still be able to impact the story in more ways... Or, or equal to or even in more ways than Percy can. And, like, the way that she will use what she has at her disposal... to make waves when it comes to, you know, all of these... And, God, there's just... I personally feel... I've read a lot of young adult fiction... when I was a young adult, and even now... I personally feel... That young adult fiction, a lot of times, really struggles with creating healthy romances between their characters. And, like, I just love the way that Annabeth and Percy's relationship will develop from the time they are 12 to the time they are 17 in the sequel series. And just that, like, they become such... Like, it actually becomes a situation where, like, they both fall in love with their best friends instead of just, like, you're cute. You're cute. Let's be cute together. Like, they're very much (laughs) like they very much learn to compliment each other and and Mm -hmm. be what the other person needs at the right time. And I think it's just overall very beautiful. And we get this super funny description and it'll come up later. Where, (laughs) I don't know why this always cracks me up, Percy Caesar thinks that she's a princess, thinks that she's, like, this very, like, cute, beautiful girl, and then the first thing, the first words that will come out of Annabeth's mouth next chapter are, like, so dismissive of this entire idea, which is, you drool when you sleep. Just such an aggressive, (laughs) like, like, opening line, like, not at all what you think a princess would say in that moment, just very much like, you're gross. And, then You're just, gross
2: and, and that's like that's a little creepy you know, for that to be said to me by somebody i've never met before you drill yeah. in your sleep and be like how do you what do you uh, <laughs>
0: and yeah <laughs> like of course annabeth would struggle with social skills she has been right. at camp since she was seven and like right has suffered ungodly traumas that do not get addressed at all like oh. she saw who she who she came to see as like her older sister die in front of her to save her life. And that's just yes. like I know there's no mental health counselors at Camp okay. Half-Blood, so like of course she'd be a if stunted. If they
2: did, they'd be weirdo. horrible. Like, yeah.
0: <laughs> she would be a stunted little weirdo who just who just like as a very unhealthy attraction to this seventeen-year-old boy, who will emotionally manipulate her multiple times, like mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. Her, her social skills would be atrocious. But right, yeah, the thing that sticks out to me, yeah, aside from Annabeth, is that Chiron is there, like mm-hmm. watching over Percy and like Annabeth and all these people that have come to like being like, oh my god, he killed the Minotaur, and I'm like, Chiron. I swear to God, if I learn that while Percy was fighting for his life against the Minotaur, you were playing Pinochle with Dionysus. (laughs) I'm turning over to the Titans. Like, I'm not doing it. You were right there. Yeah. Nothing. And I brought it up in the failed recording last time. But... Mm -hmm what you would think even with the even with the with the line i get it right you have the property line you feel safe right but you would think that after thalia dies the way she dies Mm -hmm. there would be a chore something like assigned to one of the campers at camp half blood which is watch the property line for incoming Mm -hmm. demigods that might be getting attacked Mm -hmm. by monsters like you would like so that we can assemble our our campers to go bring that kid in. No, apparently not. They didn't learn from losing one of the big three's children, and they're about to lose the second one like they, they this camp refuses to learn. that's what I'm understanding.
2: Well a minute, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up the same point that I did in the failed recording and You know, there's always the, you got to make it a story somehow. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering with these habits that I see and the lack of, honestly, Chiron is like the peak principal of any public school. Like, let's just say that real quick. Um, His not doing anything is almost an art form. But also I wonder, like, the, (laughs) like... I feel like they want their heroes to come in with a dash of trauma. Like they they got to be spicy with that failure or just you know going against the test before they come on in because they have to have some pain in order to reach like a genuine success. You know what I mean? Like the scales have to be in both sides. So I feel like that hands-off perspective is really cuz they're like, "Well, I don't want to break you down." So, you're going to face the Minotaur right outside of camp. And then, if you win, because it's nothing to me if you lose, but if you, because he, you know, whatever, prophecy, whether he's confirmed that himself or not, I'm going to let you handle that. And then, when you come in, because you've done that, then it's going to be so much easier to not train you as I delegate to the other people inside, <laughs> all your other teachers I who are imma- 17 or no, less. I
0: Just imagine Chiron at the, at the property line, invisible to Percy mm-hmm. with like a bag of popcorn. Uh-huh. Just being like Honestly. A little, he's like, little he's, clipboard. He's just there like I wonder why he's not pulling out his sword. Oh wait, I have his sword. He doesn't have <laughs> he doesn't even have his sword with him. Just like
2: You know what? I'm using his sword to decide who I'm gonna delegate these tasks <laughs> to. <It's laughs> like in God. order to train the kid. I see it.
0: Kid has no celestial bronze on him at all. Let's see how he does.
2: Nope. Let's see. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. Just like I didn't help Sally, and I also didn't help Grover. You know, why why change a good thing?
0: He took down Mrs. Dodds. He's about it. He's good.
2: He's fine. (laughs) Yes. Just Okay.
0: All right, so our last topic, our last, like, section for us is connections to the original myths, and also, like, a little bit of the ways they were changed. So, obviously, the Minotaur is... From Greek mythology. He is in the... He's actually connected, I believe, to the myth of the labyrinth. And right. needing to yeah. get to the center of the labyrinth to kill the minotaur is the only way to escape off this prison that the king is forcing all of these people to go to because the king has a son and then the son gets cursed into being the minotaur and then like out of rage, he just keeps sacrificing people to the minotaur. Um, I'll talk more about... The myth in general but um riordan does this great thing where he takes something that is like innately very interesting which is greco-roman mythology and then part of the appeal of the percy jackson series is the way that he will adapt those myths into modern day and so obviously no one's walking around with a loincloth anymore but instead the minotaur is wearing Fruit of the loom, tidy whities, and I wish there was more of that in the show. This Amen. absolutely like 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 it is unhinged. That's the word where I'm like this man is writing like a maniac it 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 does not make sense that this one, but he's just like I could just imagine him like looking at a photo of the Minotaur just being like, okay, now how do I make this how do I make this more modern? And then he's just like, he, he go, he's changing the next day. He's looking in his underwear drawer, and he's like, I got it. I'm going to make it. him wear <laughs> tighty-whities. Like, I just love it. Love I, he'll do it, it so many times. Yeah. And I think, mm-hmm. like, nine out of ten times they hit. Like, there's a few where I'm like, eh. Yeah. But, like, most of the time the way you is a myth is just yeah fantastic. Uh, but I saw that you noted something weird when it comes to, like, these Greek mythological monsters.
2: And maybe I'm wrong. I do not have a degree in Greco-Roman mythology. I don't, I don't know. But it's it's giving Voldemort when mm-hmm. Sally, of all people, Sally says, don't say the Minotaur's name. Names have power. And mind you, that is not inherently saying that the Minotaur would then, like, know where you're at and come at you directly. Like, it could be, like, a power booth carrying its own name. So it doesn't necessarily have to be, like, exactly Voldemort to Jinx. But it did make me go, huh? I don't know if you know anything about that, but I was a little skeptical of that moment.
0: Yeah. Also, like, I don't know why, but I'm 90% sure by the time we hit Blood of Olympus, or uh, not Blood of Olympus, yeah. um, but the Heroes of Olympus series, that this concept is dropped. Like, I don't, I don't think it continues on with, like, the names have power thing, but I always mm-hmm. did find it odd, and I think I talked to you about it earlier, where it's, like, uh, names and, like, monsters. It always reminds me of, like, horror movies, where, like, in, um... Is it The Conjuring? Conjuring 2 or whatever? It's one of The Conjurings, where they're trying to look through the, um through the book of like demons to try to find out what it's conjuring to, cause they're looking for Valak's name and they're mm-hmm. like, Oh, we need the name. We need the name. And then when he ban when, um, God, what's her name? Um, Lorraine Warren, Lorraine Warren's character tries to banish, yeah. um, Valak out of the, out of the house. She has to say his name and like knowing the name gives him, pa- gives her power over the demon. So it's actually mm-hmm. a weird little inverse here when it comes to like Greek mythology where it's like, You don't actually want to know its name because that will Mm. boost its power, which like also leads to the question of these things that were ostensibly being taught by Chiron. So like, how was he saying these names whenever, like whenever he was teaching about them in the Greek myth or does it not affect him because he's not a Greek hero?
1: Hmm. Or you I'm know what it sure. was?
0: You know what it was? It was probably what? What? it was probably every time Percy was about to say one of the names or ask a question, Grover does that horrific goat sound in the middle of class and just derail the whole conversation. Oh, it's the minute Matt. <laughs> Meanwhile, Nancy like over there, like, half asleep, <laughs> just trying to mindlessly take notes. We up what the heck? What was that?
2: No <laughs> <laughs> wonder why she's picking on Grover. He made it
0: easy. Yeah, at this point, I'd also be picking on him. Stop go making ble- bleating noises in class. I don't have time for in this. In
2: class? <laughs> dude, I can't. <laughs> Your comment in the failed recording about him... Making those noises in the middle of, like, a test or whatever. Oh like, God. imagine. Imagine. That, ha- like, I would genuinely not be able to keep myself together if someone was buying in class. And and, and like, seriously. Like, compulsively.
0: And it's like, at least Chiron knows. What is he doing in English class? Like, at least Chiron's aware of who Grover is. Like, they ask him to Maybe write something he has about... An IEP. Maybe as an IEP. That's the only thing.
2: <laughs> no. He's saying that outside
0: Just, in uh, the other class. Oh no! not is the pull-out support teacher that has to come in.
2: You're gonna go to small group now. We'll <laughs> see you in 30 minutes. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Main class, uh, keep going. Speaking of
0: teachers... Um, so it turns out that yeah. Percy's best teacher that he will ever yeah. seem to have when it comes to greek mythology is sally because sally seems to have studied how to combat these monsters i just imagine her like in her living room or like in the living room like you know how uh, sports teams will watch tape on the enemies like she's watching tape of the minotaur and watching tape of like <laughs> <laughs> just taking down notes to be like, all right, if my son comes across it, how could I do it? At this point, Sally should just write an encyclopedia and give it to Percy, because that's the most help that he's ever gonna get. Because
2: a little guidebook would have gone a long way.
0: Because he, she knows a lot about the Minotaur, actually. Like in all seriousness, like a surprising amount. She knows that his his sight is bad. She knows that his hearing is terrible. She knows that he goes by smell. She knows that he can't make tight turns. And it's actually amazing. What Percy will do with this information the second he is told about how to combat the minotaur. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like he starts banking tight turns. He starts hiding behind trees. He's like, like for a second, I mean, there's like 10, 10 or 15 seconds that you're reading and you're like, Percy might got this. Like Percy might actually have this now with this bit of information and like, yeah, he wins, but like he wins in a different way. But still, like, it was so useful. Just the smallest tip (laughs) helped Percy out tremendously. But the thing that stuck out to me, and I'm sure it stuck out to you, was the mention that, like, he goes by smell. And, like, I have to assume that, like, all monsters, to an extent, of their five senses, Mm -hmm. their smell is the strongest. Like, scent seems to be something that's harped on consistently. And, like... It is the first hint, I believe... Not the first hint, but it is another hint before it is directly stated later as to why Sally was staying with Gabe all of these years. And that is that this smell that he has is... I think it's described as, like, he smelled so much like mortal that, like, no monster was able to see through it. And, um... Does that come later? I think it comes in the next chapter where... Chiron is trying to comfort Percy, where he's just like, You're probably wondering why your mother spent all this time with Gabe. And I'm like, Ooh. Yeah, Chiron. He was wondering that. Probably for many years of his life. You could've you could have helped him out <laughs> with that. You know, like it's giving having to go back to number four Privet Drive every summer. Like. If you could just explain to the boy why he has to do this. Why? Like, it would just barrel parallel. It would just help so much.
2: It's giving Master Gatekeeper. Yeah. That's what it's giving.
1: Just
0: cannot help at all.
2: <laughs> Poor pivot drive. That's so funny. But it does okay,
0: it does show, like it genuinely does show mm-hmm. that like Percy is actually very teachable. He's very coachable as, like, a person. um, Which is, I actually have found to be very rare in protagonists. Like, for some reason, I find that a lot of them are very stubborn or, like, unwilling to accept help. And Percy is very much like, do you have something that can help me? Does anyone here have an idea? Like, <laughs> like he's always asking. He's like, anyone got anything for me? I got nothing. Like, I <laughs>
2: Dude, the the typical hero's ego is something, like, I feel like it's almost a a trope. Sorry, I'm trying to not cuss. Um, It's a huge trope that we find in so many, I think less so YA than adult
1: Mm -hmm.
2: fiction, fantasy, sci-fi even, is that the hero is always struggling with their own ego, but because of Percy's Trying not to cuss. Trials and tribulations of his growing into adult life. He's like, all the info. Just give it to, give it to me, please.
0: Like, he's just glad to have any information about the fight before he. Yesterday. Yeah. He's like, help me up. He like, does not
2: know, have that struggle. I don't
0: mm-hmm. know if you ever read King Killer Chronicle. But no. like, there's a character in it. The main character's name is Kavoth. And like, I want to strangle this kid every time he's like in Every time, like, the story rolls around, where he's just like, what should I do? What should I do? I got to think of something. And I'm like, have you tried asking someone for help? And he's like, can't do that. I'm smarter than everyone. And I'm like, I just, I hate you. I hate you so much.
2: Okay, wait, 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 pause. Because we do have to go to, back to, what is it, chapter two, I think, Mm -hmm. when Percy has this, like final relevation when he's like I'm going to do so good on my Latin test and I'm going to study and you know what I should go ask Mr. Brunner for help I'm just going to have this epiphany before my final exam and then we have that like short conversation about um how especially and you me um I, like they never they never do they never come and I ask
1: like, for help you
0: know that this man has had student hours every day like every week for the entire I school realize. year and mm-hmm. just oh, not yeah. once did percy ever show up
2: literally the purpose Although of apparently all that he
0: passes because it does say like when grover uh, when chiron and percy are talking with each other about like random mythology stuff He's just like, oh, Percy, I would hope that you would know this answer because you did pass my test. I'm like, shut up, Chiron. This kid has gone through some massive, like, drama right now. He thinks his mom is dead. Forgive him if he doesn't remember what the answer was to question 17. On your, on your-
2: Not you did. You did pass my exam. Not just you passed. You did indeed. You did the one exam. Oh, that would...
0: to Mm -hmm. to the surprise of everyone you passed
2: yeah right it gives that vibe but the
0: last thing the last thing that i have here is um i told i I said i was going to talk about it earlier but um it is the myth of the minotaur and more interestingly who is responsible for the death of the minotaur so In most mythology, you follow some sort of demigod or some like legacy in which like they were relatively related to a former demigod uh, that demigod Mm -hmm. lived, had kids, whatever. But um, most of the time it is Zeus where he transforms into a bird um, and then gets a woman pregnant against her will. And then that kid has a horrible life. That's typically the way of the Greek myth. Like, there was Hercules and Jason and all of this stuff. But the story of the Minotaur is interesting because it follows the hero Theseus. And Theseus is, in most renditions of the myth, a child of Poseidon. And so the Minotaur is the monster that the child of Poseidon kills. And so he does that with his bare hands. He doesn't have a weapon. He does it with his bare hands. Mm -hmm. and um. There's a weird thing that happens where I think that Jason, Hercules mm-hmm. and Theseus all live around the same time according to the myth. They're all around the same age. Mm-hmm. And Theseus and Hercules will actually wrestle multiple times and come to mm-hmm. draws. And so it also kind of parallels the fact that like Percy will also be continuously compared to Hercules um mm-hmm. through Theseus and like Theseus like his half brother from thousands of years ago he also upon the revelation of learning about the fact that the greek myth world exists the mm-hmm. first monster he then encounters with that knowledge is the minotaur and like theseus he kills the minotaur with his bare hands and i thought that that was a very you know cool parallel to to just everything that happens in this in that fight oh
2: yeah yeah full circle
0: Yep. Look at me, making yes. connections to the myth. Love it. Theseus yes. then does abandon Ariadne on a beach and then leaves her there to be, to, to death, and then Dionysus comes. So he's not a great person, but, you know, we grow say that. We, we grow in thousands of years. <laughs> you know, we evolve as people, hopefully, you know, where we're like, maybe we shouldn't leave women alone on islands because they had the nerve to talk back to us. Maybe, you know, like... <laughs> maybe we grow
2: (laughs) and this is why rick makes it his own he's like i'm gonna take this (laughs) this part of this story this good part i'm gonna take that and i'm gonna put that in my story but i'm gonna leave everything else out
0: that one's not it we're not gonna keep the we're not gonna keep the part where theseus says hey i promised to get you off the island didn't i and then leaves her on another deserted island it's it's just a tragedy
2: right Right. Um,
0: Mm
1: -hmm.
0: yeah but with that that was chapter four. My mother teaches me bullfighting. And overall, like a quick chapter, honestly. Like it was very yeah. it was very fast paced. It was very we don't get a lot of development. There is an issue here where in the whole drive, not once, does Percy's mom say to him Also, when you get to camp, your father is like none of like she knows the fact that like she never says you're not supposed
2: to help percy that's it you're not supposed to help
0: but like (laughs) you know overall i think that it was fun i I would call the chapter Mm -hmm. fun it's interesting it gets a little sad at the end with percy's mom dying sally dying but like come on no none of us believe that even when we read it when we were 12 so no I, I guess I appreciate it, you know, because they didn't like Marvel MCU fake death us, you know, like we I don't think we were ever mm-hmm. supposed to believe that Sally was actually dead. Yeah. Um, I think the best thing I can say about chapter four is that it gets me really excited to read chapter five. And I think that that is. An objective, the objective of a chapter like this, where it is a transition chapter into the next location And I think that for its purpose, it did it really well. It was very fast paced. It doesn't seem to drag. Rick's stories are, you know, rarely do you see pages and pages of text that are worthless. So, you know, from a writer's perspective, I think this chapter was very technically sound. Um, But I have to say, I'm very excited for next week. I play Pinochle with a horse because I know some of the events that happen there. I know some of the characters we get introduced there, and I'm really, really excited to talk about them. But um, do you have any final thoughts you wanted to add?
2: Uh, I wanted to tack on to your action chapter point, because not only do we get this fast-paced experience, we also have some good nuggets of humor and love. Like between Sally Sango and then the funny tidy whiteys bit and then Grover like groaning for food. Like amongst all of that action you get these really good little nuggets and I and I agree with what you were saying about from an author and a writer's perspective. Reading that is very masterful because those transitional chapters can be so boring, but he puts really good, very purposeful, like I promise you're gonna get there just Little bit
1: like you're there enjoy right this there.
2: little bit, yep. Oh, you're done now. Yeah. <laughs> you had to get through this, and now you're there. And there were a couple things in there that make it worth it, and that's cool for me. I love that.
0: And so, with that, you know, we are gonna hopefully try to get chapter five out to you on the normal time schedule. But, um, until then, until next week, you know, please check out more of my content. I have all of my ads listed. In the video, so please check them out. I'm writing more on Medium. I actually just posted a book review there for One by One. Uh, it was not good. Um, but, you know, if, you, <laughs> if you're interested in reading that. Honesty for me. <laughs> go ahead and do that. Uh, follow yeah. me on Twitter to boost my ego. Um, check out some of my writing on Wattpad. Eventually, I promise you, I will post stuff there. But follow ahead of time so that you can be the first people to see my work. <laughs> And then uh, eventually, I swear to you, I promise to all of you, I will finish Hogwarts Legacy. I will do it. I just, I'm going to be playing it on Twitch. So follow me there. Watch me play it. Watch me be bad at video games. It'll be a lot of fun. We can talk about Harry Potter stuff in the live, in the live chat. So go ahead and do that. And um, Jay, anything you want to plug?
1: Same.
2: Shame on you. I am I've almost beaten Legacy twice, Jared. Shame. Okay. That's it.
0: <laughs> Alright. Well, until next time, have a great rest of your day and peace. Mm-hmm.